0: here again today and we have made it to the final message in this series on Matthew. I have on my sheet here Matthew 51. There are not 51 chapters in Matthew but this is the 51st message I've preached on Matthew. And so we started not last fall, the fall before last fall. We started two Septembers ago on this Matthew series and it hasn't been continuous. We've taken some breaks Uh, But we have spent a rich time, almost an entire week, or entire year worth of weeks, in the book of Matthew. And uh, it has been amazing to just consider the kingdom that Matthew is putting on display. That the king has come into his kingdom, and that it is an eternal kingdom. And uh, today we finish uh, with the Great Commission, or the mission that Jesus gives every disciple of his. Um, the gospel gospel means good news and if the if the good news that the bible teaches or that matthew teaches is only that jesus has king and has received his kingdom which we've heard over and over and over again in matthew jesus is the king and he has now received his kingdom if if that's the only thing that the gospel is then the gospel of matthew would end in chapter 28 verse 9 right after the resurrection If that's the good news, then that's all that needs to happen. Jesus needs to come, needs to claim his kingdom, die, be resurrected, sit at the right hand of the Father, that's it. It's done. And of course, the gospel is, of course, first that Jesus is king and that he has received his kingdom, but the good news for us is that the gospel is not only that. The gospel is not really good news until the king who has received his kingdom has made a way for us to be citizens in his kingdom. So the gospel is good news not only because Jesus is king, but is good news because his kingdom is available and intended for Jews and Gentiles, for all people, for all tribes, and for all nations. And so Matthew's gospel does not end in verse 9 of chapter 28, but instead it goes on And with final words from Jesus to his 11 remaining disciples, to the first citizens, so to speak, of the new kingdom under the new covenant. And the final words of Jesus in the gospel are a command that's commonly called the Great Commission. It's in these final words that Jesus defines the mission and the purpose of the church for the age to come. And it has been our Great Commission as a church for the 2,000 years since. And so Matthew recounts here for us how Jesus told his disciples to take this good news, take this gospel to all people, to the ends of the earth. And that has been the story of the church all through history right up to today. We are believers today. You're a believer. I'm a believer. We have a church in Halliburton, Ontario, Canada today because the disciples of Jesus for the last 2,000 years have been faithful to this mission. If the followers of Jesus were not faithful to his final words here, then it would have ended with his lifetime. It would have ended within the lifetime of the disciples. But because they were faithful to this mission and every disciple and church since has been faithful to this mission, we exist as believers and we exist as a church. And so if there's going to be a faithful Christian testimony in the future, then we have to be faithful to this mission. There is no faithful historical church that can ignore this great commission. In fact, not have these words at the center of its very practice. And so we have to understand this task, this great commission as it's called and how it applies to us. And so we find it in Matthew 28 verses 16 to 20. And we'll just pause and pray as we consider these words. Father God, We open up your scripture now, we open up the words that you have given us by your Holy Spirit, the very words that are spoken by your Son, Jesus. And so I pray that our hearts would be open, our minds would be open, that our lives would be open to the transformation that it's meant to bring. And Father, help us to be faithful as a church, faithful as individual disciples, as we follow this great commission and the commandments that are bound up in it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, if you remember from last week, as the women went to the tomb, and Jesus wasn't there, and they, and they ran from the tomb. They left the empty tomb. They met Jesus as they were leaving. And Jesus said to the women there, he said, tell the disciples to go to Galilee, and I will meet them. And now, at the end of Matthew 28, we have the account of that meeting. Jesus has something important to say to the 11 remaining disciples. Judas is gone at this point, so there's just 11, that's why. And he has something important to say. It's the heart of his message being instructions to the disciples. Now, he sandwiches these instructions that he gives them with two important phrases at the beginning and the end. And we're going to touch on those two truth statements that he puts the command in the middle of. We're going to talk about that at the end. But first, we're going to look at the instruction. The instruction is quite simple. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, there's a lot going on in this command. There's at least four things that look like verbs that we're supposed to do. But we need a little bit of a grammar lesson here. So hold on to your hat. I'm going to talk about participles. To understand this sentence, we've got to break it down a little bit. The teachers are with me. I lost you, most of you already, just by saying the word participles. Particles? What is this? Physics? No. Participles. And at first glance, you might think that the verb here, main verb, is go in this sentence. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So the main verb is go. But in fact, the main action phrase of the sentence, the verb, is make disciples, Now, what happens in language is that we modify other verbs to become participles, which we use to describe the main verb. And in English, they usually end in ing, ing. And so the three participles here that describe the action of the making of disciples are go, or going, baptizing, and teaching. So make disciples is the command. That's the action. The way in which Jesus modifies the verb of making disciples is going, baptizing, and teaching. And as usual, Jesus has packed a lot of meaning into very few words. And those three participles, when we unpack them into the context of disciple-making, they essentially describe the only way the church is going to be faithful to the commission that it has been given. This is the way you make disciples faithfully, the way Jesus would have us make disciples. And so as we unpack these, as Jesus presents them and describes for us, Jesus expects faithful Christian ministry to look like this amongst his disciples. So let's, let's just start with the verb, and then we'll unpack the adverbs that describe it. The first thing is making disciples. This is what Jesus sees as the outcome of the activity of his disciples, which is mainly more disciples. He gathers his disciples, and he says, make disciples, as you go as disciples, you are going to make more disciples. I remember back in our church at Guelph there was a poster on one of the walls that advertised a training program for leadership. And it had in big bold letters reproducing leaders. And as I looked at that, I couldn't think of but like pregnant couples who were teaching Bible study <laughs> and you know singing on the worship team. And we have a lot of reproducing leaders in our church right now. And that's important, not the pregnancy part, but the fact that leaders train up and mentor other leaders. We are to be reproducing. And that's what Jesus says here, disciples make disciples. You only know that you've made another disciple when they make a disciple. The the idea that a disciple doesn't make another disciple is foreign to the command of Jesus and foreign to the New Testament church. It's a commission that began with 11 men at the core and other men and women besides, but these 11 at the core, and then it spread. There were 3,000 new disciples, that first message in Jerusalem, that first day, 3,000 more, and then 10,000, and then 100,000, and then millions, and now there are billions of disciples over the course of 2,000 years. So Jesus gives this command to his disciples to make disciples, and they are faithful to it, and we have now billions of disciples of Christians and disciples over the course of two eons. Now, we could go into a lot of detail of how to describe a disciple, but let's just say that Jesus has been describing that for the most part for the last 27 chapters of Matthew, and you can go listen to those 50 sermons on that. But a disciple is a citizen of the kingdom. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. A disciple has laid down their sword of rebellion. They've confessed their sin. They've admitted their need. They've trusted in the Son of God. And they've set their life to worship and follow him. And to treasure Jesus above all things. That's a disciple. Or rather, to describe a disciple in the negative, which may be helpful for us as we consider our mission and what we need to do as a church and what we need to do as Christians, as disciples... We can describe them in the negative. A disciple is not someone who has simply prayed a certain prayer at some point in their life. They are not someone who just signed a card at a rally or joined a church or signed up to serve in ministry. We can get lots of people to do those types of activities and never make a true disciple of Christ. They may never really become disciples even though they do those types of things. As Jesus describes our disciple making here, he says there are First of all, the main thing is that disciples make other disciples, and you know you've made a disciple when your disciple makes another one. And then he says there are three distinct characteristics of disciple-making and the disciples that disciple-making makes. And those three distinct characteristics are the going and the baptizing and the teaching. So how are disciples going to make disciples faithfully, the way that Jesus would have us make them? The first thing he says is go And the going is linked to all nations. The going that Jesus considers characteristic of true disciples is cross cultural, cross tribal, cross border, global going. It's what we might call a missional going. There is no commission from Jesus that says, stay, keep the gospel to yourself, and learn nothing. That's not what Jesus says. The commission of discipleship is go, cross borders, cross languages, cross cultures with this message, and that has implications for what we see in the normal historical church, doesn't it? We have a missions team here at Lakeside who sits down multiple times a year and figures out how to distribute Tens of thousands of our missions dollars because as a church, we feel that to be faithful to this great commission, we have to sponsor and support going to the nations the way Jesus has described here. There's a reason that healthy, faithful, historical, Christian churches have always had a heart for missions because Jesus says, go to the nations. If you are disciples, you will be going. And so as a larger church body, the command to go implies that there are people willing to go. We've sent some out from this church family. It also implies that there are people who are sending those who go. In the Great Commission of the church, there's only two options for participating in this part of disciple making. You are either going in some sort of cross-cultural, cross-border sense, or you are sending people who are gifted and willing to go. There is no participation in disciple-making in the Great Commission that says, I'm not going to support missions. I'm not going to support cross-cultural gospel sharing. And I'm not going to do it myself. If you are a Christian and you are not enthusiastic about cross-cultural and cross-border missions, then you are not honoring the Great Commission that God has given his disciples and his church. There's no room in the mission of the church for people who say, I don't want to go and I don't want to support those who do. That's just not an option. And this aspect of the disciple-making mission is why every healthy church and church movement involves going, it involves missionaries, and it involves missional ministries. Now, the participle applies to us personally as well. Even if we don't go to an unreached people group, even if we don't jump on a plane and fly to some distant continent to reach people, it applies to us personally as disciples because Christians are meant to be crossing boundaries. It could be a boundary of race, it could be a boundary of economic status, it could be a demographic formed by circumstance, it could be even a, a cultural subtribe formed by preferences. We can ask ourselves who's going to reach the single moms? Who's going to reach the retired? Who's going to reach the hockey dads? Who's going to reach the poor? Who's going to reach the rich? Who's going to reach the middle class? Who's going to reach the widowed and the grieving? Who's going to reach the gun nuts or the gaming geeks? Right? Every culture has its set of subtribes, and as Christians, we are committed by the Great Commission to cross those borders. We don't huddle in our own little subculture and say, we're comfortable where we are, and we're not going to offer the gospel and the good news and the hope that we have to anyone else. The Great Commission of Jesus says, My disciples are in a state of going at all times, going across economic boundaries, going across circumstances, going across race, going across culture. It is everyone together in the church reaching all tribes and all nations. And tribes means the skaters and the goths and the geeks and the nerds and the whatever and the rockers and the pop guys and the rappers and the whatever. However you define your tribe, Christians are crossing tribal borders to reach people. Our culture is divided by many demographic lines and all of them need to be crossed. And so to be a true disciple, we must always be going with the gospel and going with the purpose of making more disciples. There are no disciples that don't go. Or rather, there are only disobedient disciples who don't go. And so as a disciple, no longer one of the 11, but as a disciple of one of the 2 billion or 3 billion, God has placed you at a certain time and a certain place wherever you live, not by accident. You don't get to say, well, I'm not one of Jesus' disciples. He didn't give this command to me. You don't get to say, well, I'm not Paul or Timothy, you know, or Barnabas or one of the early church missionaries or, you know, apostles. So this isn't my mission. If you're a disciple, then you're going. Every disciple goes. There's a church mission to go and there's a personal discipleship mission to go into whatever tribe God puts you nearby. The second adverb is baptizing and the the second thing that describes disciple making and the disciples and how they're made and you may be wondering where I'm getting all this gospel focus as far as going with the gospel into these tribes and where the gospel fits into the great commission because Jesus doesn't seem to say it explicitly but it's right here when he says baptizing because as soon as Jesus says baptizing he suddenly restricts the kinds of disciples that we're making and how we're making them These are disciples that are baptized, specifically baptized, he says, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that implies a great deal. It implies that disciples make disciples of the one true God, the Trinitarian God, the three-in-one God that's unique among all other gods. True disciple-making is making disciples of God of the Bible. And maybe that seems obvious, but it isn't always. There are People out there calling themselves churches who are not making disciples of the Trinitarian God, who do not support the idea that Jesus actually is God and the Son of God. There are people out there that are making disciples that are not necessarily true to the gospel, but when Jesus says that you make disciples by baptizing, baptizing carries up, bundled up in it, a picture of the true gospel. It carries the implicit understanding of the faithful, biblical, historical gospel in our relationship with God. You can only baptize rightly when you understand the death and resurrection of Jesus as laid out for us in the gospels. The action of baptizing carries with it all of the reality of the good news of the identity of Jesus and the accomplishment of Jesus. That we must die to our old flesh and that we are crucified with Christ. That we are raised to a new creation and that as Christ was raised, so we will be raised with him. Not by our works, but because of the mercy of God and the finished work of Jesus on the cross. All of that is bound up in baptism and symbolized in the going down into the water and coming up again. You can't baptize faithfully without carrying the gospel along in it. And as disciples, we baptize and we are baptized. The idea of an unbaptized Christian is virtually non-existent in the Bible except as a temporary anomaly. There just didn't exist any population of unbaptized Christians in the early church. If you trusted in Jesus, then you were baptized. That's how you expressed your understanding of the gospel and attach yourself to the family of God. It's how you identified with Christ and how you identified with his brothers and sisters, which is another implication of our disciple-making. When Jesus says that we go baptizing, it implies that this great commission and this disciple-making takes place in community. Our faith and our mission is a community project. Yes, you have a personal relationship with Jesus, but that relationship with Jesus makes you part of a family. You can't just love Jesus and hate his brothers and sisters, or you can't love Jesus and hate his bride, the church. So our disciple-making through baptism is a gospel-informed and a gospel-saturated gospel saturated and there's a baptism pun in there somewhere, disciple-making that results in kingdom community that sets us apart from the world. And so when Jesus says that we make disciples by baptizing, he says it has to be a gospel-centric disciple-making because you can't baptize without understanding the gospel. And it has to be done in community because baptizing baptizes you into the community of faith. It baptizes you into the church the same way that circumcision brought people into the nation of Israel. And then there's a third implication of baptism. As we identify with Christ and identify with his church family, we de-identify with the world. Our disciple-making is moving people from one identity to another, from one kingdom to another. We are dead to the old and alive in the new. And so if we try to say that we are a disciple of Jesus Christ, or we try to say that we've made disciples of Jesus Christ, but our lives and the lives of our disciples that are around us act day by day, week by week, year by year, as though we identify with the world and nobody can tell us any different from the world, then we've not made any disciples. Our disciple-making moves us from one kingdom to another so that we fully identify with Christ and his church and we de-identify with the world. So the adverb, the command of baptizing as we make disciples, is not optional, and it's why baptizing has always been central to a faithful historical Christian church tradition. A church that makes disciples without baptizing them is missing the mark. And there's more we could unpack from baptizing in the nature of the church, but that's enough for now. Our disciple-making must be rooted in the gospel, drawing people into identity with Christ and community with Christ and removing them out of the old kingdom of the world and the flesh. Now finally, Jesus says, as you are making disciples, he says, you're going and you're baptizing and all the things that those imply, which we've just touched on a little bit, he says, you're also teaching. And this adverb carries with it implications for us as we make disciples as well and for the faithful historical church. Jesus says, as we make disciples, we are teaching all that I have commanded. So that means there is no disciple-making that doesn't involve a process of ongoing discipleship. There's no faithful disciple-making that gets people to put their hope in Jesus and then just sort of leaves them there. They signed a card, they prayed a prayer, they accepted Christ... On to the next one. Just leave them to sort of grope forward on their own or learn or not learn, whatever it is, as they go. Jesus says, no, if you're making disciples, the way you faithfully make disciples is you do go, you do present the gospel, you do baptize them into the hope of the gospel and the new identity in Christ, and then you teach them. You teach them all that I have commanded you. And to teach all means... That we don't get to cherry pick the parts of Jesus or the scriptures that we like and leave out the bits we don't like. That's why here at Lakeside we will sometimes do topical series, but most often, like we have been in Matthew, we preach through entire books of the Bible. Because that means we can't just cherry pick the verses that we like and skip over the ones that we don't. It also implies that we teach the whole counsel of scripture. Every verse, not just the easy ones. And then he says, teaching all that I have commanded also implies that there is training and that there is leadership and there is accountability. No church can teach all of the scriptures faithfully unless we have leaders able to teach and other leaders and people able to assess the teaching and hold the teachers accountable. It implies that there are training of teachers and all of these things are bound up in proper disciple making. And so when you naturally look at a faithful historical Christian church, you find leadership and accountability and training at the heart of it because you can't be faithful to this great commission without of it and it means that you will find teaching at the heart of every church every early church appointed elders as those able to teach first timothy 3 2 says and jesus gave the church gifts of preaching and teaching to equip the saints ephesians four eleven says We can't be faithful to the Great Commission unless we have teaching and training. It can't all be going, and it can't all be teaching. It has to be going and teaching and baptizing as we go. And Jesus says more about this teaching. Specifically, he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And so this adverb here that describes disciple-making implies obedience. So disciples that are the result of proper, faithful disciple-making are obedient to the words of Jesus. We're not just learning things for the sake of learning things, Jesus says. He doesn't just say, go and teach all that I commanded. He says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded. And so in our disciple-making, there is this faithfulness of obedience. This is not an academic exercise that we do here on Sunday morning or in your small groups or in Bible study. It's not just for your edification. It is for obedience Faithful churches are filled with disciples that are obedient to the commands of Jesus, not just knowledgeable about them, but obedient to them. If you are making disciples that know the word of God very, very well, but those disciples are not obedient to the word of God, then you are not accomplishing the great commission that Jesus has set out. And there's more implications of teaching adverb as well, but that's probably enough. So you can see here that in this command that Jesus has given... He said, go and make, dis-. he said, make disciples. Make disciples. That's the command. Disciples will make more disciples. But by going and by baptizing and by teaching, Jesus has drawn boundaries around that disciple-making process. He said, this is how you're going to do it. And this is why faithful disciples and why faithful churches look the way they do. Faithful churches are always going. Faithful churches are always baptizing. Faithful churches are always teaching because that is how we accomplish the great commission disciples that are the end result of proper disciple making are obedient to the words of jesus so the great commission that jesus leaves his disciples to make more disciples by going baptizing and teaching all of those things that they imply they are at the heart of what we do as disciples they are at the heart of what we do as a church but I want us to come back and remember the two truth statements that Jesus sandwiches this great commission between. Because the reality is that every disciple of Jesus knows that as they go about trying to make disciples, what we find is, is we can't do it. Jesus has given an impossible command. We can't change a person's heart from stone to flesh. We can't open spiritually blind eyes. We can't transfer, I can't transfer anyone from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I cannot move anybody from spiritual death to spiritual life. Only God can actually make a disciple. So how is this going to happen? Jesus tells us. He says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. Jesus begins this command. He starts it off right at the beginning. Before he tells his disciples to do anything, he says, I have all the authority. I have all the power. This is why, therefore, this is why I'm giving you this command. Because I have the power. The only reason you have this commission and the only way it's going to happen is by my power. You go, you baptize and teach. And as you go, baptize and teach, you will find by my power that you will make disciples. Remember what Jesus told The disciples, when he first found them, James and John and Peter, he said, I, you know how to fish, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. Only Jesus can do that. We can learn all kinds of techniques. We can learn all kinds of clever tricks, but only Jesus has the power to actually transfer people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It's by his power that we accomplish this commission. And then the other slice of the sandwich at the other end, how he finishes it, he says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus says, Here's this impossible mission that I've given you, and you can unpack all the implications of it. And there's so many implications to going and baptizing and teaching. And and as we drill into that as a church, we become increasingly faithful in our disciple making. But he, he says, you can drill into that command. But he says, I've got all the power to make it happen, and the other slice of bread at the bottom is, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You're only doing this in my presence. I have authority, and I am always with you. I'm not abandoning you to this task. I'm not saying you go and do this in your power. I'm not even saying you go do this alone. I am with you even to the end of the age. That's how disciple-making happens. It happens in the power and it happens in the presence of the risen Jesus Christ. So the disciples and me and you are thinking, I can't bring the spiritually dead to life and you want me to share the gospel with them. And Jesus says, yes. And and we think, I can't change the idolatry of a rebellious heart and you want me to teach your word into this person's life? Correct. Correct. I'm not comfortable crossing cultures and borders to speak to people who think I'm weird and that's not going to work because I'm not good at, I'm not good at speaking. I'm, not, I'm uncomfortable with these people. Jesus says, try it. Jesus says, this is my power, my presence. This is how this stuff really works. You just go faithfully. You baptize faithfully. You teach faithfully and I'll get disciples out of that if you do it the way I've taught you and trained you. That is a call to, of every, to everyone, to each to real discipleship of Jesus. And it's a call that shapes our whole church. It's why we do missions. It's why we do ministry. It's why we rehearse and repeat and display the gospel in baptism and the message of baptism. It's why the message of the cross every week comes to the forefront. It's why we teach the scriptures and exhort obedience because this is the last command of Jesus Christ in the gospels. The gospel is fantastic news because the king has come and the king has received his kingdom. Matthew tells us that over and over again. But that is only good news to us because that gospel is available to the ends of the earth. It's available to all nations. Because that news is for all people to receive new life and to grow into full maturity in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so, with these final commands, with this final great commission, Jesus says, You have the good news. Now, go and baptize and teach, and I have the power and I have the presence, and it will happen. Just like he told Peter on this rock, I'll build my church. And so, we have our mission, we have our purpose. Every disciple, every church has this purpose and mission, and we express it in many different ways. There's missionaries that cross many different borders. There's missional living that crosses many different cultures. There's ways of expressing things many different ways. But all of them, if they're faithful to what Jesus commanded, come back to this. Making disciples who make disciples. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we spent in Matthew. Pray even now as we close that our hearts would be considering how we apply ourselves to this, both in the church and in our own lives. How do we go? How do we share the gospel? How do we baptize? How do we teach? How do we encourage? How do we disciple others, spur them on, so that we are faithful to this one purpose and one great commission, to see the gospel go forth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.